In her book, The God Who Hung on the Cross, journalist Ellen Vaughn tells a story. And I want to share a little of that story with you this evening. It's the story of how the gospel came to a small village in Cambodia. It was in September of 1999. Pastor Tai Seng traveled to Kampong Tom province in northern Cambodia. Throughout that isolated area, most villagers had cast their lot with Buddhism or Spiritism. Christianity was virtually unheard of. But much to Seng's surprise, when he arrived in one small rural village there, the people warmly embraced him in his message about Jesus. And when he asked the villagers about their openness to the gospel, an old woman shuffled forward, bowed, and grasped Seng's hands as she said, We have been waiting for you for twenty years. And then she told him the story of the mysterious God who had hung on the cross. In the 1970s, the Khmer Rouge, the brutal communist-led regime, took over Cambodia, destroying everything in its path. When the soldiers finally descended on this rural northern village in 1979, they immediately rounded up the villagers and forced them to start digging their own graves. After the villagers had finished digging, they prepared themselves to die. Some screamed to Buddha, others screamed to demon spirits or to their ancestors. But one of the women started to cry for help, based on a childhood memory, a story her mother told her about a god who had hung on a cross. The woman prayed to that unknown god on a cross. Surely, she thought, if this god had known suffering, he would have compassion on their plight. And suddenly her solitary cry became one great wail as the entire village started praying to the God who had suffered and hung on a cross. As they continued facing their own graves, the wailing slowly turned to a quiet crying. There was an eerie silence in the muggy jungle air. And slowly, as they dared to turn around and face their captors, they discovered the soldiers were gone. As the old woman finished telling this story, she told Pastor Seng that ever since that humid day from 20 years ago, the villagers had been waiting, waiting for someone to come and share the rest of the story about the God who had hung on a cross. I want tonight to share with you, just for a few minutes, a couple of truths from the Bible about that God who hung on a cross, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We read some of his words, Brother Jeff and Sister Tammy read some of his words in Matthew chapter 27 this morning, or this evening. But before we even get to the words, which is really what I want to talk about tonight, we notice that Matthew gave us the whole narrative. He basically told us the whole history of what took place on the cross uh, in order. In verses 1 through 2 that we heard read tonight, he told of Jesus being handed over to Pilate. And in verses 3 through 10, he told of Judas' remorse over betraying the innocent Savior, of his subsequent suicide. In verses 11 through 25, he described Jesus on trial before Pilate, a murderer named Barabbas, being released while Jesus was condemned to the cross. In verses 26 through 34, he told of Jesus being scourged and beaten and led away to Golgotha to be crucified. In verses 35 through 44, he described his crucifixion and his humiliation before others, the mockery of the onlookers and the leaders, and even those who were crucified with him. And finally, in verses 45 through 66, short verses, 
Matthew described the death of the Son of God on the cross. Six brief verses to describe what may be the most momentous event that took place in all of the history of the world. There they crucified him, Jesus the King. If we keep on reading a little bit, Matthew told us some other things. He gave us some indication of just how significant the event was because he tells us some things that took place after Christ died on that cross. He tells us in verse 51 that the veil in the temple, the very symbol of our separation from a holy God, was rent in two from the top to the bottom. The way to God was now open. He tells us in verse number 52 that graves were opened. People came out and walked around alive that had been dead. To remind us that even though the cross was about death, even more so it was about life. Jesus' death resulted in life. And in verse 54, we have the truth that was so clear to the centurion. Also made clear to all of us who read the story, this Jesus, this king, was surely the son of God. We've mentioned several times that the Bible relates that Jesus was crucified about 9 o'clock. At 9 o'clock on a Friday morning, he hung on the cross until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. During the first three hours of the time that he hung on the cross, he spoke three times. We've talked about those over the last couple of, of weeks. First, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He said to the repentant thief, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And then he said to his mother, Behold thy son. And to John, Behold thy mother. So during the first three hours, he spoke three times. But then, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, the second three hours, an amazing thing took place. There was darkness over all the land, Matthew said in verse number 45. Darkness. One man said, these are utterly silent hours. They represent a gap in the narrative, a time about which we know absolutely nothing. Much was going on before the darkness descended. Jesus had prayed for the soldiers who were crucifying him. He had words of promise for the believing criminal who was beside him on his cross. He commended his mother to the care of the beloved disciple. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders taunted him. But with the descent of the darkness, all narrative ends. As if a veil had been drawn over the unspeakable suffering of God's Son. What happened during those hours of darkness? Well, he says, we know the answer. During those hours, the Son of God took the burden of our sins on himself and was punished for them in our place. Darkness for three hours. Not because of an eclipse. Not because of some rainstorm. Not because of a sandstorm or any of the other silly ideas that unbelievers have come up with down through history to try to explain it away. No, God sent darkness over the land for three hours. Solid hours, from high noon until three o'clock in the afternoon. Just as there had been three days of darkness before the slaying of the Passover lamb in Egypt, now there was three hours of darkness before the slaying of the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world on the cross. And during those three hours of darkness, probably toward the very end of those three hours, Jesus spoke, and he spoke four more times. He said, as we heard read tonight, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He said, and we don't see this in Matthew, we see it in John, I thirst. He said, it is finished. And he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Interestingly, before the hours of darkness, Jesus' three statements had all been about others. 
They had all been about, you know, the pronouns tell us the story. Father, forgive them, he had said. Had nothing to do with him. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Woman, behold thy son. John, behold thy mother. All about others. But now from the darkness comes two more words, two more statements from Jesus. And this time they are very personal. This time they're about Jesus. They're about him. They're about his suffering. They're about what he was going through on the cross. And I think these two statements that I want to talk about for just a minute tonight tell us uh, really the sum total of what Jesus went through for us on the cross of Calvary. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, of course, the first thing, if we look at that and we think about that, the first thing we notice is, yet again, it's another fulfillment of prophecy, isn't it? Amazingly. Psalm chapter 22 and verse number 1, the psalmist in that great messianic psalm had said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus on the cross, fulfilling prophecy, even quoting scripture. Forsaken. Forsaken. I think in that simple word, we see the heights and depths of the suffering that Jesus went through on the cross. Beth and I watched The Passion of the Christ the other night. Something we do from time to time on Easter. We, we don't watch it every Easter, but we, we did watch it this particular Easter. It always serves to remind, if you've seen that film, in a very visual way, of the suffering that the Lord went through on that first Good Friday. But like any attempt to make a movie out of a Bible text, it does well in somewhere areas, but fails in others. It depicts the physical anguish and torture of our Lord in a painful way. It's difficult to watch. It's hard to come away from it without tears. But I believe it cannot and did not depict the ultimate suffering that Jesus went through. I don't know how you would ever depict it in a film. Because the ultimate anguish that he endured was not physical. He was forsaken by God. And how do you show that? How do you make that something in a movie? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus had not cried out in anguish about anything else that took place. He had not asked why when the scourge was lashing across his back. He had not questioned when the Roman soldiers stretched out his hands on the cross and fixed them in place with iron spikes. He had not complained and cried out in pain at any time. Even when others certainly would have, I I cannot imagine that I could have remained silent. Could you have remained silent? Through what he went through. But forsaken. You see this was different. This made him cry out. Forsaken. It was a word with which Jesus was seemingly very familiar. But not like this. One man said it was no new experience for the Lord to find himself forsaken. His own brothers neither believed in him nor followed him. His fellow citizens in Nazareth had tried to kill him. The nation to which he came would not receive him. Many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. They all forsook him and fled. You'd think he'd be familiar with the word. Forsaken. He had endured it from nearly all those around him and dear to him. But this was different. Because up to this moment, when he was forsaken by men, he had been able to turn to his father. But now even that refuge is denied him, and he is absolutely alone. And who can plumb the depths of that anguish? Have you really thought it through? 
Do you really understand what was happening there in that darkness on that cross? Do you understand that Jesus was bearing upon himself your sin and mine? That he was not only dying for your sin, he was literally, quite literally dying as your sin. In that darkness, Jesus became the sin offering for the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In that darkness, Jesus became the ultimate demonstration of God's love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In that darkness, He Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. In that darkness, He suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit. In that darkness, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. When every sin of every man and woman and child in the past, present and future of this world were laid on his shoulders. When he became the sin of every man, woman and child in the past, present and future of this world. The father who is perfectly righteous and holy and cannot even look on sin. Turned away. Forsaken. J. Oswald Sanders said, for the first time in eternity, if communion had been broken, the wrath of hell had already broken upon his soul in wave upon wave, but now it is the wrath of heaven. The psalmist claimed, I have not seen the righteous forsaken in Psalm 37, 25, but the only one who was truly righteous is now forsaken. Ineffable love made him willing to endure even this desolation for our salvation forsaken. Forsaken. The earth is dark with fear. Earth trembles violently as sin's dread load on the sinless Christ breaks the communion of Father and Son. Forsaken. Left alone with human sin. Gloom around thee and within till the appointed time is nigh till the Lamb of God may die. Forsaken. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. Then about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, there was a fifth word that was spoken from the darkness. Let me just share a few thoughts about that just briefly. For that, we have to go to John. John chapter 19 and verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Amazingly, here we have yet another example of how in every detail what took place on the cross was a fulfillment of prophecy. Psalm 69, verse 21, They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to to drink. I thirst. To the woman at the well, he had said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. But now, the provider of the fountain of eternal life, eternal water, cried out, I thirst. He had preached to the crowds during the Feast of Tabernacles. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But now the one with access to those rivers of living water 
said, I thirst. He had been offered a drink early in the proceedings, but that drink had included a little something to deaden the pain. Gall, myrrh is what one one commentator said it was. A drug, and he refused it because he needed to be in full control of his faculties as he atoned for your sin and mine. But now when he cries out, I thirst, they give him sour wine, vinegar, basically. The common drink of the Roman soldier, it would have been all over the place. It was readily available, and so they gave it to him, and he accepted it. I thirst. John does intimate here that he said this to fulfill prophecy, and maybe so. Maybe that was the some reason why he said, I thirst. It's also possible, isn't it, though, that we might have a glimpse here of the physical suffering he was enduring. We said a minute ago, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Describes his ultimate suffering, his spiritual suffering, his being forsaken by God. But maybe this is a picture, a reminder of the physical side of the equation. I thirst. I thirst. Perhaps it's a reminder to us of Christ's humanity. We might be tempted mightn't we, to diminish his suffering on the cross. We might say something in our mind like, well, he was the Son of God. It would have been easier for him to handle this because he was the Son of God. And we might be tempted to diminish what he went through. But here we're reminded he was just as human as you are. He was the God-man. He was all God and all man at the same time. 100% God, 100% man. It was the man on the cross who cried, I thirst. A.W. Pink said, while he tabernacled among men, the Lord Jesus gave full proof of his humanity, sinless humanity. He entered this world as a babe and was wrapped in swaddling clothes. As a child, we are told, he increased in wisdom and stature. As a boy, we find him asking questions. As a man, he was wearied, he was hungered, he slept, he rejoiced, he groaned. And here in our text, he cried, I thirst. That evidenced his humanity. God does not thirst. The angels do not thirst. We shall not thirst in glory. Revelation says they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. But we thirst now because we are human and living in a world of sorrow. And Christ thirsted because he was man. I thirst. I read one theory that said that maybe, maybe this speaks of more than just physical thirst. Maybe Jesus was piling this on top of his previous statement. Maybe he was saying, like, God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst for you. Possibly. Psalm 42 does say, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I thirst. I can see nuggets of truth in every one of those. I I can see that in any one of those explanations of what was going on here when he said, I thirst. There's a, there's a possibility that it's at least partially true. Jesus' physical suffering had reached a zenith. This would be a logical conclusion to that. His spiritual suffering was also unimaginable. And as God forsook him who became our sin, his thirst for God must have been acute. But you know what? I think the answer is much simpler than that. I think the answer is amazingly simple. You see, we're at the end of the sixth hour. And the work was finished. And I think that as one man said, he was too parched to speak. And he had something else to say. Moments after he uttered these words, and moments after he received the sour wine to wet his lips and soothe his dry mouth, 
he spoke. This time, he spoke loudly and proudly. This was not something he wanted to come from the lips of a groaning, dying man. And he loudly said, it is finished. And he loudly said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Those last two statements we'll talk about on Sunday morning. But I think they explain what he meant when he said, I thirst. I got to say something. It's something important. It's the most important. And I need a drink. I thirst. In just a few moments, we're going to conclude our service. And we're going to conclude it as we have in the past on Good Friday. We'll have the praise team come back up and they're going to sing. I'll have you stand and just with your heads bowed and eyes closed for a few moments while they sing. And after they're done, I'm going to have the elders here in the front and they're each going to be holding a tray. And we're going to serve communion at the front tonight as we've done in the past. And so as soon as we're done, as soon as I pray and as soon as you see them standing here, those of you who wish to partake of communion, just make your way to the front. You can either take it right here or you can take the elements back to your chair with you and take it there. You can stay as long as you want, but that is the end of the service. Please don't talk. Please don't go out on the floor and talk. Just leave quietly when you're done because... That's the end of our service for tonight. And we want to remember him. Can you see him there? Can you see him there? The God who hung on a cross, his body beaten, his brow pierced, his hands and feet and sides stabbed to with nail and spear for you. Can you hear him there? As your eyes try to peer into the darkness that veils the cross, can you hear those words? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And after this, Jesus said, I thirst. I wonder tonight, do you know that God who hung on a cross? Have you trusted in him and him alone to save you? Have you given up trying to be good? Given up trying to please God with good works, to somehow earn your way into heaven? Have you just looked to the God who hung on a cross to save you? Lo, the land is whelmed in darkness. Nature cannot bide the sight. But upon his anguished spirit falls a deeper, denser night. Whence he cries in agony, why hast thou forsaken me? On that cross he was forsaken by God that you might never be. On that cross he was forsaken by God that you might be one with him and the Father forever. On that cross, he suffered thirst so that you might drink freely and forever the water of life. On that cross, he suffered thirst so that you might never thirst again. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live.